Don't you see, Zach? Darling Zach, glorious Zach. It's so simple. First, we find the worst podcast ever written. Second, we find the worst YouTube channel in town. Finally, I raise uh, two podcast hosts. One for me, one for you. Yep. There's a lot of little old uh, little old <laughs> crybabies out there. This is a terrible. This has gone terribly. This is not a song. I don't know why I started with this. It's not, it's not a song. I'm, I'm it's, the right it's, now. The, it's the introduction <laughs> to a song. This is we a, can do it, a Zach. fucking musical and you can't come up with a song. We can do it, Zach. We can do it. We can do it, me and you. We can make our podcast dreams come true. Is that better? No. I don't sing it. You missed the whole bit. All right, Literally, we're doing a musical it, like where it's filled with songs, and you, this is the only time we do a spoken word part. You know, uh, we, need to start, we need we need to start start you know discussing this before before showtime airs. We need approval from the board of producers. I'll, I'll do better next you know, yeah. it's sometimes when you're like, you want to sing, and then you see somebody's review, and it's so heinously, horribly low, yeah. that it just crushes your spirits, and then you don't want to sing anymore. Sometimes that happens, Zach. What what review was <laughs> so low? Um, let's keep let's go let's go ahead. Um, did you get angry? Did you get angry emails about how bad your voice sounds? No, I did not. Um, <laughs> I don't think anyone cares. Um, enough to do that. Uh, welcome everyone to another episode in our uh, movie, movie musicals adaptations month or, or movies based on Broadway plays. Um, we're covering uh, 2005 The Producers, which is based on the Broadway play, which was based on the 1967 movie, I think. Zach's acting. Thank you. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. So before we do that, and before Zach continues to berate me for my lack of singing, that I really just blew it. I'm, my deepest apologies, everyone. Uh, you're welcome to downvote this episode. It's fine. Um, so let's talk about Last Letterbox Movie. Zach, do you have a Last Letterbox Movie you want to tell our audience about? Yeah, my last um, Letterbox Movie, describing my personality, uh, The Fast <laughs> and the Furious. Um, I've never seen a Fast and the Furious movie because I mean, they don't give a shit. Um, but I'm watching my way through John Singleton movies. I'm going to be watching Too Fast, Too Furious for that. And I'm just like, might as well watch the first one. Um, it's fine. It's just like enjoyable, like um, action things. I feel like the plot is like, like very underwhelmingly irrelevant. slight, irrelevant to anything that's happening. I think they could have just made a movie purely about um, the like racing. And I think that would be a lot more engaging and interesting than having this forced, um, point break kind of crime element to it um they could just been having an undercover cop trying to break down the, the racing i don't know, that I, I think that would have been you know very intriguing alone um i do what what kind of carried it through for me like really having some level of enjoyment is i think vin diesel is like electric he like wow it's hard is... to, i think it, it is hard to take your eyes off him in screen i think he is take as a take, I think he's incredible, uh, you know, within that, like, automatically he, like, to you is, like, this character. He's, like, so uh, natural within that kind of personality, and and you're intimidated by him, and you're going to be by him. He's a good actor. I think that, I think he legitimately is, he wasn't, you say he wasn't an actor? He's already done stuff before this. No, no, I'm not saying that. I was saying because he's not acting in those movies. Nah, he's he's really good at it. He like gives ridiculous speeches, but does it with such sincerity, and you know can do the trash talking. I think he's legitimately 
pretty strong at that. He's as good at it as he is at singing karaoke um, in real life. Um, yeah, I, mean, I was really excited by how like drawn um, I was. He's a, a very magnetic performance. Paul Walker, bad actor. Let's not even act like he's anything other than just like an action, good looking man and cannot actually do any of the, the dramatic elements. Wow, I, it's, this is a unique take to come here and be like, Vin Diesel, really good. Paul Walker, terrible. Pretty good. I think Vin Diesel might legitimately be a good actor. I think he's also pretty good in Saving Private Ryan. He's also like, I don't know. I don't give Vin Diesel a lot of credit because everything Vin Diesel does comes off really fake to me. Um, like he really wants to be tough. Also, I can't get back to the fact that he literally looks like a testicle. It's just, I can't. He looks like a testicle. It's just kind of his, his lot in life. I, I actually don't agree with your general people. It, it's not just bald people. I also I think a number of the cast members in this, especially in his gang, seem very inauthentic in those roles. They seem more like tropes. And I think his just feels the most real and natural. Like this is the life that Ventizo has lived. Fair, fair. Um yeah, I like this movie. It's kind of a it's it's interesting because I, I I think I watched, I think I randomly end up watching Fast Five first, so it's very weird to watch one of the later Fast and Furious movies and then go back to the first one because as they go on, they get kind of ridiculous and crazy and like superhero ish. Um, and I think I don't like Vin Diesel very much in those, but I do think the, like this is kind of interesting as like a, it is a really pared down just like street racing movie. Um, it feels very much a vestige of even the '90s and just like. Let's make an action movie with like a really simple basic plot. And it's like the plot is they're street racers, and that's just kind of like the entire thing. But it is, yeah, it's an enjoyable film. Um Fast and Furious, I don't think is necessarily a franchise for me. I don't know. It, some people people there's a lot of people who really seem to get into the camp and like the ridiculousness of it. And for me, it has never been that appealing. But you know, I, know. I guess yeah. maybe I'll continue to watch them after too fast, but I don't like feel like a great urge. I kind of want to get like the evolution of the series. Yeah, I feel like I feel like if you keep watching them, you're either going to get really into it or you're going to really go the other way. I, I I think like the early ones are, you can have like a, a middle middle road take on, but I feel like at the end you're going to have like a you're going to be all in or all out. Um, I don't know. I their Vin Diesel takes throws me for loop. I don't think of Vin Diesel as a very good. I don't actor. think it's a unique take. I think a lot of people love Vin Diesel in this movie. I think you're putting a lot of the baggage that you carry with him from outside of the movie. But I think in oh. this first one, he is very great in it. No, I think I don't know. That seems a little high. I think he's good in uh, in I think he, I think I think he could have a best support actor nomination. Give it to him. <laughs> like, that is in, that is truly insane. That's <laughs> truly insane. Um, he grounds I, the movie. I'm not against. I'm. Not, I don't think he's like terrible in this movie or anything. I just think that like, yeah. I think I mean, maybe I'm just having trouble looking past the rest of his career where he like he kind of sucks. Or just basically. like him in general. I think he just carries a lot of baggage for his personality, but I don't think that should affect how you view his movies because he's became such a character upon himself. He is basically just like a joke at this point um, because he's like, I want to be as tough and as famous as The Rock, and everyone's like, Yep, that's not happening. Uh, nobody thinks that's that's true. Um, Let's move to a slightly different film. So, uh, actually, very different film. Um, so, I finally caught up with Barry Jenkins' directorial debut, *Medicine for Melancholy*, um, which is just a really small, quiet story of a couple of people who have a one-night stand at a party, 
and kind of like spend like the next day or two days together kind of walking around the city of San Francisco, talking, having conversations, eating together. It's this really small, quiet, like character piece of these two people. Um, and what's really obvious from really early on is my God, Barry Jenkins is just crazy talented. Um, even like, you know, Moonlight's not super high budget, but like Moonlight has way more production value than this film does. And it's just evident even from like the earliest that he just has a clear eye for cinema. He just knows what he's doing at all times. He has like a, just an interesting look. Every time he just shoots stuff in a way that is unique. Like he always, he doesn't, he almost always dodges like the generic everybody way that everyone shoots the scene. Um, he just like photographs people really well. Everyone looks really good in a Barry Jenkins movie. Um, he's just incredibly talented. It's just such a smart, interesting film. It was just an absolute pleasure to spend 80 minutes or something in a movie that he created. It's just, it's a really good director of the view and it really shows you like, yeah, I'm not surprised he went from that to Moonlight and just made, made basically the best film of the decade. Yeah, it's weird that I've actually had awareness of this movie before I knew who Barry Jenkins was. Um, Primarily because, you know, around that time was like my prime daily show watching um, era and Wyatt Snack is in this movie, which is kind of like some pretty weird casting for what he was doing, you know, otherwise. But I was going to watch this just to see Wyatt Snack in the movie, um, which the careers of who became the bigger name between those two has, has really changed. Yeah. And Snack's really good in it, too. Like, he's yeah. quite good in it. Um, very good film. Very good first time film. And like really cool to see. That Jenkins was one of those people that even from the very beginning was just he he, ha, he knows what he's trying to do from the beginning. He doesn't feel like a lot of times you get first time you know you get first time director of the abuse and it's just like you can see the 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 patches of like what that director wants to be, which is covered up by a lot of like you know sloppiness or like trying to fit inside the system. And this is just very much this is what Barry Jenkins wanted, and it's very cool in that respect. Um, let's jump ahead to our main event of the evening, Zach Ford's favorite movie of 2005, The Producers, starring Zero Mostel and Gene Wilder. Do you want to just reread your monologue from the beginning right now to introduce us? No. Um, let's talk about this film after. Zach, do you want to give us a plot summary? Or do you want me to do the plot summary? Uh, I got it. You got uh, it. So here we go. Producers. We got uh, Nathan Lane is a, is a notorious um, Broadway producer just going like flop after flop. He's might have had like one big success earlier in his career and then just tons of flops later. Um, he fucks a bunch of old ladies to get his money. Um, he's producing this. He stoops them, Zach. He stoops yeah, them. He, he, he stoops them. Um, and um, then Matthew Broderick comes in as a accountant to keep track and he, you know, catches you know, some errors in his accounting and this leads to the epiphany that you can actually make, I don't even know, this can't be a real thing, but that you can make money by having a big flop um, rather than a success. So they go out to make the worst Broadway play ever. Um, he stoops some more old ladies to get some money. Um, they have a dumb dancing song with walkers. Oh, um, why they talk about stupid? Um, it's really stupid. Um, and then um they find a nazi writer played by will ferrell too uh that had a musical read about you know the the soft side of hitler um called springtime for hitler and how nazi germany should 
you know, being looked at history in a different light, um, and, and you know, some very flamboyant directors um, to try and get a disaster in their hands, which leads to actually being a ironic success because people view it as a satire rather than a, a um, actual sincere take on Nazi Germany. Um, to when it leads to a half hour of nonsense that shouldn't be in the movie because it's not in the original. It adds nothing to it. So we only wow. need to talk about it. Zach Ford is a hater, just so we're clear. <laughs> this movie's bad. <laughs> it's bad. It's boring. It's it not flattens, bad. It is flat as fuck. It flattens everything from the movie. There's no like, okay. hop and skip. All right, Zach. Original. All right, Zach. Calm down. Calm down. We'll get there. Yeah. I'm, I'm slowing the Zach hate train for a second. I do want to talk about <laughs> I do think – so I came to a conclusion I was watching this, and I was just to see what you think of this. Um. I really like Nathan Lane, but I agree that Matthew Broderick does really struggle. And I think that what I see in them is that there's a really big difference between movie acting and stage acting. And yeah. I feel like Nathan Lane knows how to do the transfer to movie acting. And I and there's a lot of scenes where Broderick is doing weird stuff with his face that I think would work if you were 60 feet away from him and on stage, but doesn't really work for you if you're trying to film a movie. I will agree with I you. I feel that like way. About both of them, about oh, Lane and so and about this whole production in general is like the direction of it too. It lacks a cinematic quality in general. It's, it's so it's so stageish and it it's kind of like inauthentic manner it, where it's all just kind of flat performing for the audience. Um, kind it, of is a, it is of it a it is a rather than Broadway play feeling like you're being with these characters. The original still has like a play feeling to it because you're stuck in like these scenes yeah. for so long and it's on dialogue. Let me but see. It's let me see. Right. so much more kinetic. So where I differ from you is I actually do enjoy some parts of this. I do agree that it, it does very flawed. It is very flat in moments. There are dance sequences that are just interminably long. I don't know why they decided they needed to do eight, nine minute dance sequences, especially when do not show me a dance sequence where it's been five minutes since anybody sang. That to me is like, that's a big red flag if you're watching me. I don't need to watch them do 95 minutes. Dancing. I do think there are performances in this film that really pop for me, that really work, that keep me engaged and make me enjoy it. I really like Nathan Lane. I think, and you said this is a crazy dick. I think Nathan Lane is better than Mostel. I think it's the, the only improvement to the film. I don't think it's a huge improvement. I'm not trying to put down Mostel. I think he's very talented. I do think Nathan Lane is a better version of what Mostel brings. I, Broderick is a huge downgrade from Gene Wilder. He's somehow like I think he's trying to play manic and like scared, but he just doesn't have it in him. He also like is too conventionally handsome to be considered this complete like loser outsider. Yeah. Like Gene Wilder looks like a piece of shit in that first he's like too, too normal. He's not quirky enough in his personality to pull off. And I think especially Matthew Broderick straight up during he changes his voice and his mannerisms during the most famous comedic bits from the original to basically do an, uh, an impression of Dean Wilder. Like, I could see him, like, he being a huge fan of the original producers, and he spent his whole childhood, you know, acting out to his friends, the Gene Wilder scenes, and this is what he is doing. Doing the voice, it's a mimicking job, and not an actual, like, fitting his performance style in a natural way. Uh, he's, during the, you know, I'm, um, oh my gosh, hysterical, and I'm what? He, I'm like, his pitch. His pitch gets nasally to match the Gene Wilder pitch, which he doesn't do at any point in the movie. Same thing with the with the fat part. We just start saying fat. It comes out of nowhere. It's it such does. a, a contrast right. between everything 
he's doing because he's just trying to you know live up to what those moments were from the original you know what's another thing that's interesting i noticed i think nathan lane does a lot of singing on set his singing seems very much blended into the performance. Like I see his mouth move and I see the, hear the words and it makes sense. There are moments in the song in particularly um, the final song in the courtroom where it's, I think pretty evident to me that Matthew Broderick was not singing and they recorded that after the fact, like he's not opening his mouth wide enough to be singing certain notes. Like there's definitely some weird stuff going on where I think he was sort of half-assing it on set and was like, yeah, I'll just record it in the booth and we'll overlay it. But it's also evident in the performance is not there. I love what Nathan Lane does, does though. I think he's so funny from the first sequence. I think the fact that his body is built, he's built exactly like a bowling ball, that he keeps falling over the couch, the weird stuff with his hair. I think the joke of Nathan Lane constantly, like his hair going straight up and he having to like swill it back with, with like alcohol or water or whatever is very funny. I think he's really good in all the dance and all the songs. I think he's just a truly talented um like com comedic musical performer. And I think he's the person that more than anyone just really pops in this film. Um, and probably the reason I enjoy it. The one other performance I do, I do enjoy Will Ferrell. I think Will Ferrell is pretty funny in this. Um, I don't think Uma Thurman is very good. I think it's, it's very fine. evident. I, I wanted this, the, the songs are, I wanted them to be a little bit more belty. I wanted like full on, like, you know, I think that's what makes the song funny. Is like, she's like, even the dancing, she doesn't like quirk up enough. It's a, it's like too tame. No, I, that's one thing in the original I do like is that she's super hot and that's part of the joke, but also she's just a fucking weirdo from like Sweden. Like, it, yeah, she's, like, she's like doing weird naive and like out of it. There's more of a fish out of water quality. Yeah, I do enjoy that. She's a little bit off in this. Um, I really like um, Gary Beach's Roger Debris and then um, uh, what's his name? Roger Bart as uh, his assistant. The big, I, the I think they're failure so, of the movie. They're so <laughs> funny. They're so funny. I don't know what you're talking about here. This is a terrible. I think thing it's. I, I think it's like so over the top to where that's the one part that even though they do pretty much the same bit in the original, that it comes off offensive in their um, representation of it in this one because it's like it, it, it's hey the archetypes are so strong and so one note wise to where it it seems like you're laughing at it and not laughing with those ideas um of homosexuality in general like these are supposed to be imbeciles oh, because they're gay not because they're imbeciles they're missing just that the fact that they're dumb parts it's like they're weird because of the gay oh, get past that i disagree with you on that one i think that the joke with them is totally that they're like ridiculously self-obsessed like egomaniacs i think that's the joke the entire time and they just when have, you have a whole like, song that's just about making it gay it gets rid of that ego it's moves the focus to but be the, joke, the gay part and not the, the ego parts. But half the joke of that song is that he keeps contradicting himself. Like he's crapping on, you know, chorus girls doing turn, turn, kick, turn, 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 kick, turn. And then he literally says that you put a bunch of chorus girls in springtime for Hitler. It's like I, half the jokes in like make it gay is also about how he's an idiot. And like, he doesn't know that he can't just, he can't just change the, the Nazi plot from them losing the war to winning the war. I feel like all the jokes there about how he's an idiot, like he didn't know that the Nazi, that the Third Reich and Germany were related. I feel like half those jokes, like there is jokes about them being super fun for him, but I think also half of them are just like they're egomaniac morons who have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. I'm going to backtrack a little bit because we yeah. really quickly moved to that from Nathan Lane because I do want to do my quick. I don't think Nathan Lane is bad. I think he's probably great. He's the one like, I think Matthew Brock is probably bad on stage on this. I just, I can't I think that the performance works. But I think Nathan Lane is the one that just doesn't carry it over from what his stage because he is just such a 
performative actor. It's just like it, it, when he performs, it seems like this is the you know 120th night he has done the same thing. It's such like a precision to everything he does. It all seems so practiced and in and, and that sense um, artificial. Mm-hmm. It, not natural. I think Zero Mustel looks just like smells and like amidst this like greasy ass producer thing. He, that character seems more lived in rather than Nathan Lane is like putting on a show like he is this character. Is more you're just stepping in place for the audience's benefit. He just can't play it off in a way. And and he even does like the Zero Mustel comb over and it just seems more or less natural. But like Zero Mustel, you feel like was born with that fucking greasy ass comb over out of the room. Is that he's just not sleazy enough. I don't think Nathan Lane is earnest. He's not sleazy. And that's the wrong attribute, I think. Interesting. I see. I, I would disagree on this. I don't think that's a I don't think that's a lame performance thing. I think that's the actual two movies. The producers, the musical, it's just it's way better production value. It's so much more high class and flashy and better looking. I don't think that they can ever reach that look of Zero Mustel because the first one looks terrible. Like it looks grimy and sleazy, and you're like, do we need that's to? That's like, good. <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying this is a critique. I'm not saying. Like, I'm not saying it's. A, I'm not saying it as a critique. I'm saying that I don't think that's a Nathan Lane performance thing. I think that's a choice of the movie to be flashier and more yeah. put together. I think this but is I, why Broadway musicals don't Lane. work for me. It's that artificiality where everything has a polish to it to be up for stage. And so the fact that this doesn't any try to add any more kind of natural things for the a cinematic take, it is just here's our, you know, how we perform on stage, but with like bigger environments. I think that's why it doesn't work for me because it just it seems straight off the stage. It has an earnestness rather than yeah, the like kind of greasiness or naturalness. See, I love Lenness, but I will agree with something you just said, which is that one of, I think, the biggest problems with this, and the reason that this is boring at times, even for me, like somebody who enjoys it, is this is so flat. This is like all the critique. This is like the archetype of they just shot a stage play, and then they kind of had better production value when they did it on the stage set, like a, a sound, set, sound set instead of a stage. This is just a filmed version of the play. And you can the biggest example of this is that and I think this, you will agree with me, is probably one of the biggest problems of the film, is that every time there's a dance sequence, it goes on forever. It's so long. Like, you could have had a, you could have had a minute of the ladies dancing and it would have been fine, but it goes on for like six minutes. Or you could have had Bloom and um, Ula dancing together for like a minute or two, but it goes on for like eight minutes. It's like, they're so long that I feel like I can be like, you know what? I could go get some water or something in the middle of this and it'll still be happening. Anyway. It's it's something that you do on stage because they're always like to have those big dance numbers in a, in a stage room, but it does not work in the movie. I like the songs a lot. I like when they're singing, when they're interacting. I think the comedy songs work. Fine, shake your head. Go ahead, Zach. <laughs> Zach I mean, getting- the songs be there and being so long is like committing the biggest like error in comedy where it just like kills all the jokes. It I, takes... I, I don't think the songs know, kill it. It's the dance numbers after the songs in the middle well, of the song. They're, they're stupid of the old woman. It's so funny in the original, and it could be funny in this, but then they have five minutes of them like singing about it. It keeps us reinforcing that joke rather than letting it live. It's like one minute of time and move on. It All the jokes are too present. They're too used to where it gets old. And that's the same with the kind of the gay producers. It's the same thing with a lot of the Nazi humors there, and especially the Will Ferrell character. He gets two songs. Of you know doing Nazi propaganda songs that then kills the you know the joke of him. Oh, I disagree. The songs are great. The Will Ferrell songs are great. It, I, it's all, I it's think, just too 
it's comedy should never be that long. You don't drag on jokes. There's a reason for it. I, I you gotta I, the pacing matters. I do agree on some respects. I do think there are too many songs. I think that I think the songs I would most likely want to cut is anything related to Matthew Broderick because I think they're just sort of irrelevant. Um, he goes and say, he, like, there's just like, I, I do agree that you could you could cut this down. You could. He doesn't necessarily have to go sing two songs to figure out he wants to be a producer and not an accountant. You don't necessarily have to say, I want to be a producer. That's it. Yeah, I, I don't really need the other one. You don't really need the Ula and him songs at the end. There's definitely stuff that you could edit out. I think every song that involves Farrell or Lane is worth having in the show. Like, and I enjoy watching that. I like Spring Time for Hitler. I like Heil myself. I think that stuff is good. I actually think one of the best moments in the film is Betrayed, the song that Nathan Lane sings in prison when he recreates the entire like plot of the movie up to this point. I think that's actually quite funny. Honestly, I, tr- I trashed the last half hour, but I think that song works. I think it's I think he's so good in that scene when he does also just the way he does it, like he imitates other people and like does other voices. I think he's actually quite good. But then like Leo comes back and sings that whole Till Him song and I'm just like, yawn. Um, and like a quick resolution for them to like be friends and then go to jail, which has done better in um, Paddington 2. It really is. It's like studying musicals. Yeah. Um, it's all a little long. I like the abrupt ending of, you know, these guys, you know, it becomes a success and they're fucked. And then, but this needed like some more tying up to a little more ribbon being tied together. That just made it seem forever. I was ready for it to be done. I thought it was done. I'm like, I swear this had a half hour, but we're at the ending. So great. I probably gave it a half star more. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely it definitely has its weaknesses. I do enjoy a lot of stuff in it. I think in the biggest part of that being, I think Nathan Lane is fantastic in it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely. I think honestly, I wonder if you watched it again, if you would be. I'm surprised how low yours was. I didn't necessarily expect yeah. you to love this, but I think that one and a half. I was a little shocked at how low that was. I thought I thought you would enjoy the moments that like I certainly we'll, have moments. We'll be open. We could be open with the audience. There's two things that definitely affected my list. One is that I like adore the original. This is it, is a, it is in my top 100 movies. It's I don't favorite, love the original movies. Yeah, it's my favorite Mel Brooks movie, and I've seen it you know quite a bit of time. So that definitely you know creates a little bit of a bias right away, a little bit of like sort of expectations of what this should be, which is unfair. And that's the same way a lot of people you know come from being Broadway fans and they bring into the movies yeah. a little bit of unfair expectations of what they because they want to rekindle it um I, I don't like to think that I was like focusing too much i had to be like the same but i do feel when they're using the same you know jokes and lines and i can just notice the difference of them and just how they don't function um that bought me but the other the other thing that definitely 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 has inhibited my enjoyment of this movie is that i've been in like a shitty ass mood for a weekend i have like Lots going on in my life as far as like time schedules to where watching a two and a half version of the producers seemed more like a chore I had to force into my schedule rather than something that I was like sitting down ready to fully enjoy. So I did not give it the best, um, you know, chance in my mind. So I w- I'll be open with that. I'm just yeah. trying to do the best show I can. No, it's fair. It's a fair. It's fair. <laughs> I, know, I always knew this was going to be tough for you to watch because you are such a fan of the original and. The fact that they, the, the Broadway musical and then the movie based on it is sort of the original, but just they added some stuff to it. They didn't change anything that drastically. So it was going to be very easy for you to sit there and compare the original to this one. 
and especially the performances they were doing. So I think that, you know, I, I understand. Um, um, let's see. Let's talk about, we've talked about some of the performance. Um, well, I'll just say one of my other song complaints, which yeah, would be spring, Springtime for Heather, which is, um, I because I, it's the same song and it's still in there, but I think why it works in the original, not this, is because in the original, it's the only song. So it one is kind of coming out of nowhere, but you can also laugh at it more. But when it's one of like 10 songs, there's still like a level of like having your cake and eat it too. It's like you're you're making it like a parody song, but also like you need to be kind of a solid song to carry on your musical and your other songs. Rather than in the original movie, it you can just purely be a joke. It's not there as part of your soundtrack or part of um, you know your songbook, but it's just one song just there to be funny. The other one I feel like loves it more. Like it's also like it is a catchy ass melody. It's dangerous because you're I'm like going to go to school one day singing Springtime for. <laughs> I do think that part of that is the reason that this movie goes straight in from Springtime for Hitler into Heil Myself, which is actually a pretty funny song. Um, but that's basically, Heil Myself is basically the song version of all the jokes they made in the original Springtime for Hitler. Um, yeah. Let's talk, you, you, you mentioned you liked Will Ferrell. I like Will Ferrell, because I like Will Ferrell. And yeah. he's like doing his bits and he's doing, you know, he's the broadest character and they're in the broadest acting in there to kind of wish that's how everyone did it. I think that could have been the more unique take within this production is you just really broaden it in a way rather than, you know, make it just so show tuny in your performances, but making it like SNL skip versions of it um, and, and your line deliveries and the line choices. Because um, it does seem like they gave him a little bit of leeway and being able to like do his own shit with it. Um, yeah, it felt different from a performance, and it seemed like a perfect casting for that kind of thing. It's really hard to pull off, you know, the, the funny Nazi in a way, especially now. And I, 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 but I think he has the touch for it. He has like the winking eye that I think is necessary for that role. That like he kind of knows he's doing a bit, but that makes it work. Part of it is that he's never really comes off as sinister. He always just seems like a real weirdo. Like, he's always weird, not scary. Even at the end when he's, like, shooting at everybody, he has that moment. He's like, why won't you stand still? I'm trying to shoot you. Yeah, because he has, like, what could be an intimidating body. He's a really tall man, very large. But it's just, like, it's one of those kind of, like, Jason Segel has it, too, when you're tall, but, like, you don't know necessarily how to carry it. It all seems like an unnecessary yeah. load you have to carry around with you all the time. Kind of like what I look like also. I'm just not quite as tall as them. Um, to yeah. way that, that that balance is like you can be seem kind of a threat of him being a large man coming to you with a gun, but also you can, the bumbling aspect of it makes a lot of sense. Right. He doesn't have that look of an actor. You're, you look at them and you're like, oh, okay, you're like a big dude and you look like it, you could you're not the Dolph Lundgren where you look you're a big dude and you look like you like you know how to handle yourself you got that kind of he's got the sort of uh John Cleese you know Jason Segel you're talking about like the guy who always looks like they're sort of like a giant puppy or like potentially like, like a baby giraffe or something like they're they're always like, like their arm body. might fall off of them one day by gravity point they too. could they could trip over themselves at some point and fall flat on their faces you know he does have a really good moment where it's just like he's a very funny comedic actor. He has a lot of weird stuff. The fact his birds are all named, um, they got the Jim Henson company to do all the birds. So that's why, um, that's good. Um, they got a good Mel Brooks, um, little voice cameo for Mel Brooks during springtime for Hitler. 
Did you catch I that one? I thought that was him, but then I re-looked at it and it didn't look like him. So I need to see it again. It's not him. He's the voice. Okay, that's what I'm saying. In, oh, even in the original okay. Broadway play, he records the line, don't be stupid, be a schmarty, come and oh, join the Nazi oh. party. That's that always been a that's from, like, I thought it was him. I looked, I'm like, that doesn't look like him. That can't be, but I swore that was going to be the part, yeah. Yep. And he's uh, you know, he's very good. Um, let's see. Are there any funny scenes? I do actually like the audition scene. I, I, I think that's funny in both versions. The fact that everyone, that I think it does a really good job touching on like the ridiculousness of actors and how all of them try to come and sing these stupid songs that the director is just so done with. Except that's where they make cuts. That's the one they shorten compared to everything else. I think it like works, but that could it's be true. such a funny scene. But the other one's longer because they have a whole extra character in the original that's not in this, which is um, the actor, I forget who's played it, but I think it's a really funny performance of like this kind of, he's also like flamboyant, um, but like drug addict actor that has like no idea at all what he's doing on stage and just like performs himself. And it, it, it's, instead here, they kind of substitute him with the director. They find an excuse to bring the director on stage. Um, to play the Hitler character and be the one that people like find satire in the performance, um, which makes it seem a little, you know, more forced of a gag. Like this one, they actually cast a lead that they kept with, not just casting, you know, Will Ferrell. Um, I think it's a missed opportunity. I think you should play off the centric performance a little more instead of trying to cast from within, cast from the other like quirky. See, characters. I think that I think this is called. You're trying to. This is called what happens when you make a Broadway musical, and they were probably sitting there going, "We Dick need to. Sean, we need to." Probably. Yeah, he's very good, but I think they also probably needed to pare down the cast. They wanted to have less people, so that's probably why they did the situation where they replaced that character with Will Ferrell with um, uh, what's his name? I'm blanking on his name. This is embarrassing. Uh, Friends, Liebking, and then Roger Debris as like the two versions of that character, and it makes sense why they ended up doing it. Um, I, I don't hate that. I don't hate that change as much as you. I think that is, to be honest, I think that's a very much a change based on the fact that you really like that character and you really like that performance. Mm -hmm. So, um, I would say in terms of that, I don't think it actually does any. I don't really think it does much. I don't, think yeah, it really does I don't think it does much for the movie, to be honest. I think making that change is just kind of streamlines it and makes you focus more on the characters that you're supposed to be focusing. But it's a waste of the comedic potential of the casting team. You already said you like the casting team. That's the one that is shorter compared to, you know, stripping old woman that they add an eight-minute song with. This is where they didn't decide to add a whole bunch of length to the one scene that has a lot of potential for different jokes and different things to be funny. They could have a whole song of all the different performers, and there's a lot of different bits, a lot of different jokes That's to right. bring in rather than retreading one joke. I'm fine losing that bit. To streamline the story, I do think the bigger problem is that you just need to cut all your dance sequences by seventy-five percent. Like we don't need to see that. I, it also really feels like um, this is what happens when. So the director of this movie is uh, Susan Stroman, who also directed the stage play and is also a choreographer. And that to me is the moment where you're like, you have a choreographer director who really likes these dance numbers, and that's why you have a nine-minute dance number that an editor or a producer or somebody should be like, hey. Um, your audience is going to be bored out of their mind halfway through this. You need to edit this down, make it quicker, make it faster. Get on to the next scene. The only the movie she ever directed. It's sometimes, if you want to get a stage director to have their expertise, I think maybe you need a co-director. You have some that have like had successful careers 
um, with both like Julie Taymor, you know, has had a fairly successful career within movies and Broadway. If you don't have any kind of background in film, I think you need a film director to collaborate with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she basically just went back to Broadway after this and seems to be quite successful there. But I think there is a, I think the biggest thing you notice in this film with her is that there's an over-reliance on choreography and also she just does not have an eye <clears throat> visually for how to shoot this in a way that's more engaging. It's very much shot straight. Like you can, you can imagine that you would show up and it would be a big soundstage and they just have three cameras, one over here, one over here and one straight on. And they just kind of, they're not moving cameras. They're not doing anything movement wise. They're just shooting straight on and then putting it together. Like it, it's very, it's very flat. Yeah, and it makes the dance seem, seem so stale because the camera's not moving along with the performance. It doesn't give you anything interesting to look at. That's the like purpose of bringing musicals into a um, movie is because the director can make more choices on what you can focus on and what you can see and adds a, a you know more kind of like feel to the music scenes when this is just focused like you're an audience member on a stage watching everything at once. You're just seeing everything rather than you know giving different different shots and different looks. Yeah, and I think also like one of the best dance numbers in movie musicals are things like Singing in the Rain, where you're following Gene Kelly as he dances mm -hmm. down the street. And like That's that stuff best. is really, it's so good. And it's so, it's so alive because you're, because the camera is following Gene Kelly. It's not just sitting there shooting Gene Kelly as he dances around. Because honestly, at moments, it looks kind of stupid when they're doing these dance numbers and the cameras are shooting them straight on. It's like, it's not it looks kind of goofy or like this cheesy it's yeah it doesn't it doesn't doesn't work great um yeah there's definitely it's definitely a movie that i enjoy because i really like nathan lane but um it's definitely got some flaws it's definitely got some flaws um yeah i've expressed my take and i said maybe i could have a different i i don't say that there's not a chance i can enjoy this if i actually saw it on stage I, I feel like I can find the enjoyment because my expectations change on, on what the, you know, the style is. I think just, you know, when I'm watching this in a movie, it just, it comes off so flat, especially watching, you know, at home. Yeah. I also think I just like, I wish I could be watching Gene Wilder right now. That's all I could think about. That, that is, I think, the really big, that and Ula a little bit, but I think that's probably Bloom is the big downgrade of the Tinder versions. I don't hate Broderick always, but he is... It's weird because I've listened to I the think, soundtrack. I the think Broadway. he would be fine if he wasn't in the shoes of Wilder. It's not even that. I just feel like he doesn't. I feel like he doesn't. He hasn't done a good job transferring his performance back onto. Um, like it's weird because he is a he is a movie actor, but then it's weird that like it feels like he's trying to give a stage performance in a movie, and it's it's very weird at times. There's like he does a lot of stuff with his face. Like watch some of the dance sequences where he's in in there with like Ula. He does some. He has some weird facial expression like he doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing he's not a great character actor he's always doing some version of himself there's some sort of just like kind of real person vibe to him still like nerdy qualities but doing extra quirky characters that don't exist in real life he can't do and he 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 doesn't try to do that for half of this and i think it's okay but when he tries to in the extra comedy moments of be the like eccentric weirdo that needs his blanket to calm him down it just doesn't work yeah it really doesn't. All right, final thoughts, Zach, on a movie you were not a big fan of. I think you've given like three final thoughts. Um, so my final thought is, uh, I, 
this is the low light of the past couple of months of doing this show, but I hope we made it interesting enough of, uh, of an episode about it. Um, but I'm ready to move on to great uh, musicals like we have next week, which is going to be some real hot takes. We'll see what my new take is when we watch it. Wait, it's you have that we when you hate producers and like, or and I hate producers and like the next movie. There's going to be some real volatile reactions. I think this is really one of these moments where it's like Zach is just. You got to remember, people. Human beings are stupid, weird creatures that have bizarre takes <laughs> that, don't make, that don't make any sense. We all have them. You can you'll you can hear me talk for thirty minutes about how I don't like a movie for some reason, and then go find a movie I have rated at five stars that has the same exact thing, and then throw it in my face, and I'll be like, "Yeah, yep. I, yeah." Listen to me, why I don't talk about producers and that I love or not love, but really like girl in the window, woman in the window, murder in the window. Something happened. Zach literally cannot remember the title of the movie. <laughs> he gave three and a half stars and actively fought with me when I was crafting on it. Yeah, you're not aggressive enough in your defense like I was. You need to make me feel more like an asshole for not liking this movie. Well, because it's not even that. It's just like I understand where you're coming from in terms of loving the original so much. And I also understand but like – I like this movie at three and a half stars. I agree it's a very flawed three and a half star movie. I'm not out here claiming this is like the height of movie musicals. I have a movie musical ranking. I don't think this movie is in the top 30 all time. Like, it's fun. I really like, I love Nathan Lane in it. But like, I am I will agree that Broderick is not very good. The dance sequences are way too long. It's a really flat at times. Like, there's definitely very legitimate critiques. I think your one and a half stars is lower than your actual thoughts. It feels not a little low. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. I, yeah, but I went to bed like mad. <laughs> yeah, that's that. That is that actually surprises me a little bit. I feel like this movie should not make you mad, um, even if you didn't like it. Mm. All right, we're done this week, folks. Um, come back next week. We will be talking about. Oh, this yeah, is spoiled my take on it. <laughs> Les Miserables. We're not gonna. We're not gonna dig more into that. Um, we hope you enjoyed this podcast i'm sure there will be some producers fans who are mad at us i'm sorry i can't more wholeheartedly defend this film because i don't necessarily agree with the people who love this film um yeah i don't know i, I sort of want to sing i also sort of don't want to sing um zach do i have to sing at the end of the song at the end of the show i think care? you should redo the monologue but you gotta do it in song <laughs> I have to redo the monologue. All right, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to vamp for a second when I find the monologue. We have to totally right. sing it. I'll I'll start my song. A boo, a do, a bopity do. The producers with Zach and Lou Hugas. Producers with Zach and Lou Hugas. I'm never gonna not. Thank yeah. you for making it impossible. That's first off. That's not long enough to vamp. To I do it one more time, and then they're gonna close the show. The producers with Zach and Lou Hugas. End. <laughs> Exactly. You, don't, you don't give me enough time. <laughs> you don't give me enough time. All you got to do is press stop, my friend. I have to press stop. All right, fine. Good night, folks. They're good night. Talk, hop clop. Do the hop clop with us all. We'll Someone make us a fucking theme song so we don't have to do this bit anymore. <laughs> Please do. I would appreciate it very much. I will have to, I'm going to have to sing Les Miserables next week and I might go horse. That song is I just did it because I love that joke. Okay. <laughs> hey, good night, good luck, good riddance, motherfuckers. <laughs>